Brother Doug is a great preacher, always has been from the time he was a teenager, and teenager all the way up. He wrote the first commentary that we published that had only one man writing the book, and he the commentary on James. And I've had numerous preachers tell me that they believe that's the best commentary on the book of James they've ever read. So that will give the commentary a plug, but this is the man who wrote it probably 30, 40 years ago. Long time, he was a young man. So you young preachers know that you can do a lot of good work while you're young. And he has, and he still to this day, is a, a great value. Okay, we'll open up now for comments, questions, or anything. I want to thank you for your thoughts, my brother. Uh, you know, I was actually going to be working on the lesson here, and I was actually going to call it the sure mercies of David. And that's the exact wording that you find in the Bible. You find it in Acts chapter 13, where it, uh, it refers to Jesus. Mm -hmm. God is promising Jesus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. I was wondering if you could give us a favor. Could you turn to Isaiah chapter 55 and could you read for us uh, verses 3 and 4 and comment on that for us? Isaiah 55 Okay, Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 3 and 4. Incline your ear and come to me. And hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I, will, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people, and other things as well. Okay, first of all, I understand that the sure mercies of David indicate the blessings of David. We're going to receive blessings from David. And in this context, I think it definitely includes an everlasting covenant that would come with them. And that everlasting covenant, you know, I understand to be the new covenant that we live under today. And Paul quotes this in Acts chapter 13 at Pisidian Antioch when he's preaching there. And he uses that to refer to Jesus. And so obviously the passage is a prophecy about the coming of Jesus and the blessings he will give to us, which includes this wonderful new covenant that we live under today. I, I don't know. You, know. you may correct me on this in waiting on the table. When I wait on the table and when, when I bless the cup and I'll you know, say, say basically, you know, Father in heaven, thank you for this cup of blessing, which is communion of the blood of Christ. I also like to add that Jesus not only shed his blood for our sins, but he shed his blood for this wonderful covenant that we live under today. I think we need to be very thankful to live under this new covenant that we have today. And the prophets discuss that. Not only, you know, the sure mercies of David in Isaiah 55, but it's also discussed in, uh, in Ezekiel as well. And there it's called a covenant of peace and an everlasting covenant as well. Brother Todd Richardson. Thank you very much, Doug. You're welcome. Um, when you were in the beginning, when you were outlining those five covenants, and you were talking about them being puzzles or pieces of the puzzle, put them together and so forth, that they paint this beautiful picture of redemption. I mean, I know what you're saying overall, but just kind of go back and can you kind of explain a little bit more, elaborate a little bit more what you meant about those all together painting, like like maybe bring into you know when God promised 
I won't destroy the world anymore. This is the rainbow and all that. So what's your thoughts? Okay, the, the theme of the Bible, the main idea of the Bible is our redemption. The Bible is a story about our redemption, and that's the story of the Bible from beginning to end. Now, there are a lot of other you know, chapters in this story, but the main picture is God's love for us and His redeeming us from our sin. Now, these covenants that we've talked about are special agreements that God enters into with various groups. And each one of these covenants kind of plays a small part for the big story of redemption. You know, the story of, of, the, of, the, of the flood and the covenant that God made after, after the flood talks about, you know, the graciousness of God, the faithfulness of God. God loves His creation in the sense that He's never going to destroy it by flood again. And that promise is not only to us as humans, but even to every living creature. The covenant that God made with Abraham is where the promise of God, which was sort of general now, narrows down to where it comes to one man. And then from that one man, it grows back to, through a family and then through a nation and then finally back through one man, and that's Jesus. And that's basically, again, the idea that all families of the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham's seed, which was Jesus. The covenant, the Mosaic covenant, while initially, you know, made with Israel and was applicable to Israel, teaches us great truths as well and prepares that people to bring the Messiah into the world. As uh, Alan talked about this afternoon, the the purpose of Israel was to bring the Messiah into the world. And the purpose of the covenant was to help them do that. So it plays a role in the great scheme of redemption as well. David, the Davidic covenant, without question, describes Jesus the king coming. He's our king. And then the new covenant that, that we live under today is sort of the fulfillment of these things. And it's, it's the last covenant, a covenant of peace. It's an everlasting covenant. And so we will enjoy the blessings of living this covenant. But all the point that I was making is that they're all, they're all kind of like chapters in a book. And they bring us to the end of the book, and there's a happy ending at the end of the book. And those covenants bring us there. Brother Greg Gay, and then Brother Archangel. Very interesting, very good. Thank you. So David, as the king, had as much power as any man on earth and he had God on his side but when he was told no he obeyed he didn't rebel he didn't pout he could have done both but, but he didn't do that and what he did do is so fascinating to me and this is in 1 Chronicles 29 it says that uh, Solomon my son whom alone God has chosen is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. So I, I look at this and I say, David spent the rest of his days with an emphasis on helping his son build what he could not do. And I've used that example many times in congregations that do not have elderships to say, okay, this generation of the church, of the congregation here, is not able to have elders. So what are you able to do? Why not be like David, spend the rest of your life doing everything you can 
to make it easy for the next generation to set your congregation in order. And I think David is a beautiful and a wonderful example of a loving father in that regard. That's good. Thank you, brother. I want to add something to that. You know, the title of this little talk was When God Says No. And the idea is that David had these big plans. He wanted to build this temple. He thought, this really will honor God. And then God said no. And if David was just as human as the rest of us, there had to be some disappointment when God says no. And, you know, if, if you think about that, you can apply that to us. Because there are times when we pray to God for something that we really think is important to us. We really think this is something very essential. And sometimes God says no. Now you know God answers prayers in different ways. God sometimes simply says yes, and He answers it. Sometimes God says yes, but delays it. Sometimes God answers the prayer in a different way than we ask. We ask for something, God answers it, but in a different way. And oftentimes... His answer is greater than ours. And then sometimes God just says no. When I think of the story of David, to me it fits the third category. God changed David's request. David asked to build a temple. God said, I'll make a house for you. I'll make a, a royal dynasty from you. But as our brother pointed out, the reaction of David is what is so special to this story as well. In the last part of 2 Samuel chapter 7, Bible says that David goes up to the, the Ark of the Covenant and sets down in front of it. And I think he does three things. Number one, the Bible says that he humbles himself. He had just been told no, and he humbles himself. And number two, he praises God. He praised God. And number three, as our brother mentioned, if I can't do this, I'll do something else for the cause of God. You know, that's true for us also. We, we ought to respond to a no in the same way. When there's something in our life that's really important and we pray fervently for it and we don't receive the answer we expect, don't pout. Don't get mad. Don't blame God. Humble yourself. Praise God. And find a work that you can do for the church. So there, there's some great truths of this story beyond just the Davidic covenant itself. Thank you. Let me ask just one question out of kind of curiosity. When we talk about those covenants, is there a reason we don't link Genesis 3.15? Because that seems to bring it full circle because of that's the yeah. covenant with the promise of Christ starting out the process. Yeah. It really sets that. Yeah, uh, it, it could be. In there. It, and, well, I was just going to say, I, I have seen some that include what they call an Edenic covenant and all. But I've also seen some that suggest that it, it maybe they didn't consider it a covenant in the sense that these were. And so I didn't include it. But the arguments can be made that there was a covenant you know, made at Eden as well. I, I think that when you, when you look at that as, the, as one of the covenants to be included, it mm -hmm. seems that that really brings out the fact that when you go by the time you get to Acts 2 34 where David's saying the Lord said unto my Lord yeah. or I mean uh, Peter saying that yeah. the Lord said, him, uh, said unto my Lord sit down here and that really ties it together well with Matthew 28 and verse 18 Oh yeah, with Jesus having all power yeah. where not only the covenant that we're under here on earth yeah. in 
Yeah. yeah. That's why I use the illustration of the pieces of the puzzle because there's a lot of those pieces in the rest of the Bible. But you put those together and you get this wonderful picture, this beautiful picture of, of redemption. Would you like to make any summary? Or yeah. Uh, years ago, I went to a debate that Brother George Batty held in Atlanta, Georgia. And I don't even remember... It was somewhere between 92 and 96. I'm sure he knows the years because we lived in Indiana during that time. And in this debate, he had prepared a workbook. And it had, had basically all the answers to everything this other guy was going to say. And in that debate, you know, the, this brother on the other side would make his argument and George would get up there and say, the answer to this argument is on page 37. And then another one, the answer to this argument is on page 52. Well, I thought that, that was brilliant. That's, I really appreciate the way that George did that. And so I came up with this idea that if tonight, and if, if I got some question that I wasn't sure about, I was going to say, get that little book back there, Christ, uh, about the, the king and his house, turn to, page, turn to chapter 6, or turn to chapter 8, or turn to chapter 10. So I appreciate George and what he did on the situation. And I appreciate uh, everybody here as well for coming out tonight, being a part of this assembly, being part of this time to worship and serve God. And again, appreciate the congregation here for this work and all the other works that you do and our brethren as well that have contributed to helping arrange this meeting.